Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Okay, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We have Justin Gatwood. He is a health services researcher and is currently an assistant professor at the University of Tennessee College of Pharmacy in Nashville, Tennessee. His research focuses on evolving pharmacy practice by facilitating pharmacist involvement in improving medication adherence, providing public health services, and expanding clinical interventions across practice areas. Prior to joining the faculty at University of Tennessee, he worked in analytic consulting at Truven Health Analytics and was previously employed by Santa Fe Aventis U.S. Pharma. Justin studied economics at Cornell and earned a master's degree in public health from Ohio State and completed his doctorate in social and administrative pharmacy from the University of Michigan, where he developed a tailored mobile health intervention to improve diabetes medication adherence. Justin, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be on the show. And I should clarify, I know it's called Talk to Your Pharmacist. Um, so I appreciate the opportunity here because I'm not actually a pharmacist, even though that's the sandbox in which I play. If you're going to actually talk to a pharmacist, you'd have to talk to my wife, who likes to mention that I am just a PhD. <laughs> well, I, it sounds like you guys have all bases covered in the family with pharmacy. So, and and your wife Katie is at Vanderbilt doing um, specialty pharmacy, or um, uh, is that right? She's on the bone marrow transplant team, bone so marrow. she's an oncology pharmacist. Yes, bone marrow. That's what I was thinking. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's been great to connect with the both of you here in Nashville. Um, and you've got some really exciting uh, research that you have um, that has been coming up uh, related to the new um shingle vaccine. So let's talk a little bit more about um, what that looks like and how that opportunity uh, came to be. Well, we have a group in the in school pharmacy uh, in Nashville that is acutely interested in, in vaccines as well as community practice. So I work with a couple of folks that you know, uh, Tracy Hageman and Ken Homeyer. And when the new shingles vaccine came out, we recognized it might be a potential issue with it not an issue with the vaccine so much as how it was going to be delivered. And that is that it's going to require two doses. So while it was more effective than the existing product on the market and demand was likely to be high for it, uh, and the recommendation for it pushed things down to age 50, uh, pharmacies aren't necessarily equipped to handle multiple dose vaccines. Uh, one of the biggest challenges I foresee for pharmacy practice and something that really drives me nuts as being sort of a, a data-driven person uh, is the lack of data that pharmacists have out in the community. Um, unless someone's very diligent going to the same pharmacist and the same pharmacy all the time, we don't have great records on people. And having to provide multiple doses for a vaccine can introduce some challenges. Uh, so we were fortunate enough to partner with Kroger in an effort to look at how can we solve this issue of not just providing a great vaccine, but making sure that there's both doses being received. Mm 
Um, and we're well underway with that project and looking forward to what the results have to say. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, just to clarify for the listeners, um, so a lot of people probably are now aware that the Shingrix is the newest um, zoster vaccine. It's been around since 2017 and is now the preferred shingles vaccine. Um, in the past, the Zostavax had been around, um, but the key difference would be that uh, the Shingrix, while is more effective, um, does require the two doses. So um, what does the program look like that you and Kroger have been able to develop? So it's a two-pronged approach because we figured there were going to be two sides to this issue, uh, one on the pharmacy side and one on the patient side. Um, as a researcher that's active in the medication here in space, I'm well aware of you know, patient behaviors and things that influence them. Uh, and I've been learning more about the behaviors on the pharmacy side and the things we can do to influence their behavior in terms of approaching patients. So we want to make sure we're tapping both, uh, both sides of the coin, if you will. So on the pharmacy side, uh, Kroger has uh, a product in their system that is allowing their pharmacists to keep better track of the patients that need that second dose. Um, it basically puts them into a queue so that when pharmacists are working up patients, they can recognize when the patient is due for that second dose and essentially provides a type of nudge on the pharmacy side. So you may have heard a lot about nudge theory and, and different approaches to trying to change behavior using nudges, which essentially in economic speak is some sort of behavior change that doesn't involve price. So we're trying to encourage a particular behavior using something that doesn't interfere with their typical everyday behaviors. So on the pharmacy side, we injected this uh, piece of information technology that facilitates the pharmacist recognizing when the appropriate patient is coming in that needs that second dose. Because uh, as, you, as you're well aware, there is a bit of a window between when the first dose is offered and when they need the second one. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important for the pharmacies to manage that time so that patients come in uh, during the correct window and don't miss out on receiving that second dose. On the patient side, we're also using nudges in something that is familiar to me, and that is um, building text messages. So texting is ubiquitous. Everyone has a cell phone. Most people now have smartphones, uh, but texting is a you know, cost-effective mechanism to communicate with a wide range of people um, that's quick and easy. So what we've done is uh, we've built uh, a handful of messages that are used in concert with uh, the pharmacist engaging the patient to get basically the patient back in the door for that second dose when they need it. And it focuses on providing uh, some patient education or motivation. So we switch between providing an education-focused message and a motivation-focused message to see which one is going to get them back uh, in the door to get that second dose. So we're sort of tackling it from both sides. Um, and we've taken an approach with the study to look at the impact of the, um, the pharmacist queue mechanism by itself. And that is about to wrap up. And we're actually in the middle of the texting program where we're working with all the Kroger stores across the country. And at mm -hmm. first, we um, randomly assigned half of the patients who got their first dose to get a text message and half to not receive it. And then uh, eventually here in the next couple of weeks, we'll ramp it up to where all of the patients who've gotten that first dose 
uh, will get a text message uh, here at the appropriate time. Very interesting. So a nudge theory for the pharmacist and for the patient. Correct. Um, okay. And then those were not running simultaneously. The um, pharmacist nudge has kind of completed your, your assessing that evaluation now. And now we're ramping up the patient um, uh, impact on that behavior change. You got it. Okay, cool. Um, well, that's exciting. So any patient going to a Kroger pharmacy uh, could potentially be the recipient of one of these text messages. Um, very cool. If they're getting the, the Shingrix uh, vaccine, of course. Correct. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, well, great. Well, I can't wait to get some of those, uh, hear some of the results from that. Um, so Justin, let's talk a little bit more about um, what you see as this project contributing to the larger role of pharmacy and pharmacists in providing public health services? Well, the great thing about pharmacies is they're so accessible. They are the most accessible healthcare provider in the country, and they can provide a wide range of services. Um, and what we're really focusing on with our research is getting them better engaged in things like vaccinations. Um, so certainly one of the services they can most easily provide to a wide range of patients. Um, and so we're focusing on building up different types of uh, programs and skill sets for pharmacists to get them better engaged in vaccination, specifically with adults. You know, a lot of the focus in vaccine hesitancy or resistance is focused on kids. But adults need vaccines too. Flu, pneumococcal, Tdap. Uh, now HPV, these are all things that pharmacists can contribute to providing for patients mm -hmm. wherever they are practicing. So our research program really is trying to tackle uh, a wide range of vaccines that are recommended for adults. Uh, this particular project is going to help us understand uh, what sort of things can we build into the healthcare IT infrastructure to assist mm -hmm. both providers and patients, which is great um, if you have patients that are coming to you and are requesting the vaccine. One of the challenges though, is that, um, you know, pharmacist time is limited. They're very busy people. They have a lot going on, a lot of things to manage. So the time that they do have to identify patients and then promote vaccinations is somewhat limited. So mm -hmm. another project what we're focusing on is providing communication skills for pharmacists to engage with their patients and have quick, effective, and more assertive conversations with their patients to move them towards making an educated decision. Um, as you're well aware, um, schools of pharmacy train our student pharmacists to give vaccinations. We certify them to, to give that to the APHA program. Uh, but one of the things that we thought was missing is a real focus on how do you actually promote that as a behavior? Uh, there's not much time spent in curricula or in the APHA program to focus on having that in-depth conversation with the patient and managing their hesitancy or resistance. So we're focusing actually in um, pneumococcal disease and trying to build up the communication skill set for pharmacists. And we built uh, a training program using our simulation center in Memphis uh, on the UTHSC campus to train community pharmacists to have more quality-driven and data-supported assertive conversations with patients to uh, recognize where they are in the decision-making process 
and move them towards making an educated decision they think is right for them. Awesome. And has has that been rolled out to any um, specific pharmacy chains or has it been kind of some uh, initial focus groups uh, at this point? We are actually active uh, and just right now going through follow-up to get data collection and we are partnering with Walgreens uh, in the Memphis and Nashville areas. Uh, again, taking an approach where we can understand what level of dose we need of an intervention to demonstrate mm-hmm. some benefits. So uh, in Memphis, we had half of the Walgreens stores send a pharmacist to uh, be trained live. And that mm-hmm. was done in conjunction with some pre-work before they got to uh, the, the simulation center where they went through some online modules. Uh, mm-hmm. We did, uh, we provided them with some um, vaccination education, put them through some modules to train them on some uh, motivational interviewing and some sales techniques, as well as communicating on the mm-hmm. fly to get them comfortable having these more assertive conversations surrounding vaccinations. And then in Nashville, we're doing the same thing, except there we're just giving them the online content. So they're going through you know, the disease state and the vaccine recommendations, the communication training that I just mentioned. Um, and we're seeing sort of a comparative effect between the Walgreens stores in those regions uh, to demonstrate what they're doing with those skills and if it's leading to uh, improvements in vaccination rates for adults who are at high risk for invasive pneumococcal disease. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Wow. Lots of exciting things, um, happening in the, in the vaccine, uh, area of, of, um, practice for sure. And, you know, staying busy. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, more and more patients are turning to their community pharmacy to get those vaccines. Um, so I think that that's, that's great because yes, as you mentioned is some of it is a little bit of a sales, uh, technique because, um, yeah, you've, you've got to, um, be able to be a little persuasive. Um, and, but, you know, ultimately it is, you know, the, you've got to have the best interest for the patient at heart. And so if, um, you can convince someone that is at high risk, then, um, that certainly benefits the patient. Um, so great. Very cool. Um, one other thing about that too, is, you know, one of the things that we felt was important to equip the pharmacist with, was some actual data about mm-hmm. um, folks in their area. Because as I mentioned before, um, community pharmacies are somewhat handcuffed mm-hmm. with limited access to data on the patients. So they right. sometimes don't know what's going to come through their door. And if they don't know what's coming through the door and they're uh, being asked to have these uh, sometimes challenging conversations with patients about mm-hmm. uh, vaccines that are recommended for them, but they don't know where that conversation is going to go, that can be a little, you know, Tough to manage, especially given the time constraints that pharmacists have. Sure. So we uh, we surveyed um, 
1,000 uh, adults across Tennessee in terms of vaccine hesitancy to get a sense of the things that are driving those decisions. And we've equipped mm-hmm. the pharmacists with those data to mm-hmm. help them think about the conversation ahead of time. So if they are sure. uh, filling a prescription for a diabetes patient that he knows is going to come through the door and fill their metformin later that day, um, mm-hmm. they can think through what that conversation might look like given the uh, most likely reasons for hesitance or resistance in their patient population. And that way we think it's going to lower the threshold for any nerves they may have with Mm -hmm. having what can be a difficult conversation and hopefully have a more assertive, impactful discussion with the patient about uh, the benefits of the vaccine for which they're recommended. Sure. Wow. Exciting. Yeah, that that is. And and pharmacists, of course, love data. So that's great that you're <laughs> prepping them with, with even more information. Um, so Justin, let's talk a little bit more about some lessons learned from addressing and uh, these expected challenges of expanding vaccination in community pharmacies. Well, I think one of the biggest challenges that we've experienced uh, with this is on the patient side, they're not really made aware of the vaccines for which they're recommended. And mm-hmm. pneumococcal is a great example of that. The leading reason we saw in Tennessee adults uh, for vaccine hesitancy was lack of awareness. Now, mind you, every adult that we surveyed for that study uh, had a condition or a behavior that placed them at high risk for invasive pneumococcal disease. Yet, very few could recall a provider recommending that vaccine for them in the last one to five years, which is pretty troubling when you think about it. I mean, we are well behind Healthy People 2020 goals when it comes to achieving vaccination rates in adults 18 to 64 Hmm. that are at higher risk for invasive pneumococcal disease. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these are are patients that walk through the door of pharmacies every day. They're smokers. They are patients with diabetes. They're asthmatics. So these are folks that pharmacists are seeing, but yet... The patients for which the vaccines recommended are not mm-hmm. recalling ever knowing that they are recommended for that, that vaccine, um, wow. which, is a, which is a clear challenge if you're going to be effectively promoting it out in the community. Yes, definitely. And, you know, one of the challenges, too, is just that our data sources are so disparate. You know, you think, oh, well, the doctor's covering that or, you know, maybe somebody else is, is doing that. So I love that pharmacists are being equipped with um, that knowledge. And so they're really taking um, kind of that front line of being the most accessible healthcare provider um, to be able to provide such a valuable public health service, such as um, providing needed vaccines. Absolutely. Um yeah, so this this has been really interesting to hear all of the the great work and and research that uh, you guys will be doing. Do you have any um, kind of time frame that you're looking at to be sharing some of the results? Uh, we're actually putting together some of the dissemination right now in both conference abstracts and papers. Um, we will expect mm-hmm. to uh, present some of that this summer and into the fall. Uh, we'll have a lot that's going to come from this work focusing on. Um, you know, changes in pharmacist confidence for having these conversations with patients. Um, mm-hmm. We'll have a lot of data to work through uh, for both the projects we talked about. Um, 
with Walgreens. Certainly it'll be uh, more localized here in, in Tennessee, but I think we'll have some important findings that we can spread around the rest of the country in terms of how we can better equip pharmacists to have impactful conversations. Um, and then on the Shingrick side, you know, we're going to have you know near nationwide data on the impact of this mm-hmm. um, you know dual attack to the Shingrick dose completion, looking at yeah. both from the pharmacist and the patient side. Um, so this year is going to be a really exciting year for us in terms of getting out these data and, and spreading around what we've found because uh, we're looking forward to expanding these concepts. Um, one of which is that, that's on our uh, radar is looking at improving. Uh, HPV vaccination rates in in adults. Uh, You know, that recommendation changed a little bit. Um, CDC didn't quite get there in terms of uh, really promoting it heavily in the new age group for which uh, the the label is approved in adults. Um, But we're going to take a unique approach with that and adapt what we've done in, in pneumococcal and see if we can't get more adults to get the HPV vaccine. Awesome. Well, all exciting. Um, Our listeners will stay tuned for that. So Justin, as our final question that I ask all of our guests is, um, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self and it's, or for other pharmacists or others in the pharmacy field who are just getting started in their career? I would think I would say you know think outside the box. The the profession now, mind you, again I'm I'm attacking it from a different angle. Um, I'm not a practicing pharmacist, although I'm surrounded by them uh, with friends and family and colleagues. Um, but you know, as you are probably aware, um, I'm sort of a, of a champion for our college in promoting non-traditional career paths. Mm-hmm. The profession is evolving rapidly, and mm-hmm. um, you know our students, future students. Um, you know, someday I'll probably tell my, my young son, the same thing that, um, just because things are changing doesn't mean there isn't great opportunity. Um, and so I would highly encourage our current and future students to think about how they can be entrepreneurs, think about how they can be intrapreneurs as well. You know, it, it may be that you want to come up with something innovative, um, and don't feel like you want to break out on something on your own. That doesn't mean you can't uh, find new solutions to problems in our healthcare system that pharmacists can manage. Um, pharmacists are very well trusted. They're very accessible. There's a lot of things that they can do to improve uh, the wide array of issues we have in the healthcare system. Um, and it's really become the platform for my research. And I, I strongly believe that there's a lot that they can do. But don't be afraid to take risks. Don't be afraid to think of something new. Um, If someone tells you that it's a crazy idea, prove them wrong. Because you never know uh, what sort of problem it can solve by being creative. Awesome. That's such great advice. Thank you so much, Justin, for joining us and being a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the time. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. 
share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. 